0: There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett.
1: Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, Positive intelligence and career crises. Well, we have a terrific guest today. Glenn Roberts McCabe is the president and founder of Toronto based The Roundtable, a place where leaders can cultivate their leadership skills. Through the Roundtable's innovative and multi award Roundtable peer to peer coaching programs and their leaders teaching leaders community. The Roundtable is reimagining the traditional consulting firm model. And prior to launching the Roundtable in 2007, Glein was the managing partner of one of Canada's most respected mid-sized consulting firms specializing in the area of leadership development. So welcome, Glein, to It's All About Skills.
2: I am thrilled to be here. So excited for this conversation, Charlie.
1: I'm thrilled to have you, and it's so nice to see you again. Okay, let's start by going back a few years, and just tell us where you grew up, where you went to school, you know, and the lessons that you learned about skills during that period.
2: Yeah, so I was actually born in the UK. I don't know if you can tell that from my strong British accent, but um, we moved <laughs> to Canada in 1977. So it's been a while, and my my father was the coach of the Canadian rugby team. So he came over to coach rugby. Um, he'd been a teacher, my mom was a teacher. And, um, you know, I went to typical high school. And um, I think when it when we talk about skills, I was thinking about this a little bit today, what were the skills I learned? And I think a lot of the skills that I learned were not so much cultivated through school, but cultivated through my parents and this this notion of um, building relationships it was a big theme my parents were big volunteers you know my dad was a mason my mom was involved in the local church community group and all my entire life I was really sort of exposed to this idea of community and being part of groups and and being a cont- contributing uh, member of whatever team or program or, you know, um, piece that you're in. So that that's sort of probably the skill that I spent the most time on was sort of these relational skills um, through school. The rest of the school story was a bit of a, you know, I, I always say, you know, mentors can, can, uh, you know, put you on the right track, but mentors at the wrong time in your life um, can put you on the wrong track. And, you know, my early, you know, when I was in high school, I had a a art teacher who really loved me and who said to me in grade 10, you should be an illustrator for advertising. And that's kind of all I needed to hear. I thought, okay, great. I'm going to go to illustration school. I'm going to be an illustrator. And when I got to college and was doing illustration by December, I went, this is not for me. Who thought this was gonna be a good idea? <laughs> and so switched and went into advertising um, because I thought I need a bit more balance in terms of writing and creating, and went to school um, for creative advertising. But it was it was a good lesson to have early on around don't let other people dictate what you should be doing with your life. There's a balance there. You don't need to, you can't abdicate responsibility for your choices when it comes to your education and your career. So
1: that's, that's kind sure. of my
2: my school story in a nutshell.
1: Well, now when you finished college, what were your, you talked about advertising, what were your career abs, uh, aspirations?
2: Yeah, well, so it was interesting because I left home when I was 17. So by the time I finished college at 21, my parents had actually moved back to the UK. So I'd been on my own in Canada since 19. And I think, you know, at that time, my aspiration from graduating was to get a job. <laughs> and I would actually even selected my program because it had a six week work term. I selected my work term solely based on who, who companies that hired the most graduates from our programs. So I was, single mindedly focused on getting a job because I didn't have mom's basement or dad's basement to return to if things didn't pan out. So, um for me, it wasn't until I landed that first job that I suddenly went, "Okay, so now here I am at the Ottawa Citizen, which was a daily newspaper, laying out ads for the paper." That's kind of not what I wanted to do. I always thought I'd be a creative director for an ad agency, but Ad agencies didn't pay very well. It's a bit of a grind. The citizen paid the best, hired the most grads. But I found myself literally six months in going, Holy smokes, what have I done? Where am I going to go now? And I can remember that period being really a bleak period for me because I, I, and I think it happens to a lot of graduates, you know, you, you come out of school and you feel so much pressure to land something that. Unless you've kind of taken a track, like maybe law or accounting, where there's, you know, medicine, where there's really clear um, milestone steps in front of you. If you're like me, and you're, you're just sort of, you know, kind of going, I need to get something and I'm blanded here. It was this period of time in my life where I was really confused and didn't know where to go. And so it was, it was interesting navigating through that um, at that time. I, I learned a lot about the importance of understanding Uh, your strengths and understanding what you want to, you know, do more of in your life.
1: Well, you know, you're a, you're a big fan of the doom loop. Uh, I am a
2: huge fan of
1: the doom loop. I wish I'd
2: learned about the doom loop at that stage in my career. I didn't learn about the doom loops until I I was 10, 10 years in.
1: Well, you know, uh, the first two, first two career crises in that book are the first job. Mm -hmm. You are just a poster child. I am a poster child. And then the second career crisis crisis is first job disappointment, and so it sounds like you did both of those. But this <laughs> isn't about the doom loop, and people can go to the people can go to the doom, I do loop. Like the doom loop. and learn all about that. Yeah, but yeah, Following this, and you're you're going through that second career crisis of uh, first job disappointment. You entered the world of management consulting. And what was your main interest or specialty in that field as you went through that part of your career, which was yeah, quite yeah. So
2: yeah, so I mean, it's interesting, right? Because my my journey to getting to management consulting involved bouncing around in other things, and and I always say to people, you know, that are in their twenties, I think your twenties from a career perspective, it's a great time to take risk. It's a great great time to figure out what you want to do. I think too often get people get caught up in their 20s with um, titles and money, and they ignore the opportunity to learn skills and expand their portfolio. And that is really what I did through my 20s. And so it was interesting, I somehow landed from, you know, I was at the Ottawa Citizen. I then went to become a fundraiser at the Big Sisters Association. I then went to Ottawa Tourism to become a membership director. I then, when I was a membership director, got introduced to a training company that did customer service training. I got trained to train our members to in this customer service program, which then led me to join that company, move to Toronto. And um, when I was there, I met a client who said to me, you should join my old firm. Firm, my old leadership firm, and you'd be a great add to that team. And that was how I landed in management consulting. And for me, though, it was actually a long journey to come back home because when I was a little kid, my parents were teachers, my grandmother was a teacher, my grandfather was a preacher, my dad was a coach and a teacher. Like that thread had been in my life mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And yet somehow I got diverted and so i took this windy path back and so landing in management consulting and we were a firm that focused on leadership development and you know all of the i used to say we used to do soup to nuts we did the assessments and the coaching and the management classes and courses and all of that kind of thing for me that was like coming home that was like coming home to my roots of teaching and helping and supporting and personal development and so, um, you know, that's what got me into management consulting. And, and I think when I was there, I, it was truly one of the, the most pivotal experiences in my life because I suddenly had the opportunity to navel gaze at my own leadership. I'd never had that before. I always say I went to the school of initiation by fire or sink or swim when it came to leading teams. When I suddenly got to go somewhere and that's all we did. And it's what we talked about a lot. And I got to do all these assessments and think about myself as a leader, it's just a huge unlock for me. So super grateful for that transition.
1: Wow. And you were you were really lucky in that you, uh, you found what you really like to do what you really mm-hmm. love to do. Mm-hmm. And you could grow in that. And uh, who somebody said when sometime, uh, if you're doing what you love to do, you don't even have to go to work. You know, or something like that anyway, but so you developed your interest in, in uh, leadership development and had those experiences in the consulting firm, you know, as a result of that, before you founded the round table, what do you consider to be the most important skills that you, uh, that you learned and developed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one of the things when I moved from the citizen to the big sisters association, where I was their fundraiser. I was responsible for about 100 volunteers. I was 23, 24 at the time. And I had 100 volunteers that all did different things. And they were all these very professional white collar women, lawyers, accountants, working on Parliament Hill here in Canada. And it was just such a huge lesson in the importance of informal influence and how you had to bring varying agendas together and manage these big personalities and, you know, differing personalities. I learned so much from those women. Like we truly had exceptional women, but I, I am so grateful to that foundation of, um, Influence, because I think today at work and when I and certainly when I was, you know, um, leading in other organizations, the ability to influence people who do not report directly to you is such a core skill. And I think the other big skill that that, um, I developed when I worked for um, Ottawa Tourism, and again, I, I look to, you know, some of the leaders I worked for. I had a boss who was incredibly inclusive. He was not hierarchical. He really um, modeled valuing my opinion as a 26-year-old who'd never done this job before, but made me accountable and responsible for my functional area, listened to my opinion, valued my opinion, allowed me to make mistakes. And I think that idea of servant leadership it it really sh- shifted. I never, you know, the the my first job experience it was a lot more hierarchical. It was a lot more, you know, um, uh, you know, formal. And so that was another big lesson. And then I even think about, you know, the other big sort of skill. I don't know if it's a skill or a, a lesson learned was this notion of it's okay to speak up and it's okay to have a differing point of view, when your intention is to make the entire system better. And I can remember having a a thought when I was at the Citizen, and um, I wanted to go talk to my boss about it. And I had a coworker say to me, you shouldn't go and tell Peter that, you know, he needs to change this. And I remember thinking, well, but it's good for Peter, and it's good for me. So it's a win win. It's a win for the company. It's a win for him personally, and it's a win for me, why wouldn't you want to hear the idea? And what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, that sort of notion of really thinking in more balanced terms about, it's not just about you, it's about what the company needs and wants as well. And how do you bring those pieces together? And and it's okay to, to maybe have a differing point of view, you know, your boss doesn't know everything, and you, you're you there to help them and support them and, and do that. So I think, you know, the skill in there, of, I guess, speaking up and, and not being afraid to voice maybe a, a controversial opinion or an opinion that you know maybe wouldn't land as well as other people think I think really served me and and continues to serve me I have to say
1: yeah I know so we come uh, we come to 2007 and when you decided to launch the roundtable, you know mm-hmm. what what prompted that Glyne and, and what were your dreams about that business when you launched it at first?
2: yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think my pattern is you're sort of hearing and and you know the doom loop for me. I am going to go back to it because when I when I heard about when I first was exposed to it, it was probably back in two thousand and one, and it was a massive unlock for me. I really realized my pattern in my career had been that once I got to the point in the doom loop where I was good at the job but I didn't love it anymore, my modus operandi was to leave the organization, and so I'd been very fortunate when I was at this consulting firm that my manager when I got to that point was the kind of manager that had created space that I could go to him and say I think I need to leave and I don't know what to do and he he gave me the opportunity to go through a career coaching program that we were piloting and um in that program I had a really big unlock and it was you know we can have knowledge we can have skills but it's really understanding what's the what's the underlying motivator that sits within you And one of my big ahas was that I had this really, really, really high need for autonomy. And, you know, I remember the coach that was debriefing me at the time said, it's just going to be really important that you have your own sandbox to play in. And I remember going back to my boss. And at that time, I was head of sales and working between sort of head of consulting and the head of marketing. And I was completely stressed out of my mind. And My husband was always saying to me, you need to look at your relationship with control because <laughs> you're trying to control everything. And I can remember going to my boss and saying, I realize that there's nothing you're going to be able to do. That's going to make me happy because I don't like the fact that I have to, you know, I'm responsible for sales, but I can't control who we, what consultants we hire and how we market our business. And, you know, he was great instead of saying, well, okay, tough bananas, you need to stay there. He really said, okay, well, let's look at your strengths. Let's look at what you can contribute to the firm. And we went through a number of different iterations and I ultimately became managing partner for a smaller part of the business. And then I, I took over and was managing partner for the whole business. Even then that bought me a few more years, but even then this, Itch to do my own thing was massive. And I made one more career move into an organization where the leader, I'll just say, wasn't as evolved as my previous leaders. And I started to realize, you know, at some point you have to go, is it really about this leader or... Or is it really about me? And I need to really take this leap. And so I would say that's what prompted me to do the leap. My husband kind of looked at me and he said, you just need to go do this. You need to try it um, and see what happens. And I think what I'd been doing while I was at the firm was I'd been working with all of these high potential leaders. I piloted a couple of programs. I've been getting involved in mastermind groups, and I've been seeing a lot of really great people derailing opting out getting stuck in their careers not being happy and I thought you know there's a better way to support leaders and particularly I was most interested in type a personality people who don't know when to dial it back because that had been me I burnt out a couple of times that had been me so that was sort of my passion and I wanted to do something that was less about you as an individual leader and more about how do we support each each other, right? How do we collectively to de- develop? And so that was really the impetus for the round table.
1: Wow. And then you, you found yourself uh, staying in an area that you really loved, mm. leadership kinds of things. And you made that move over to something that, uh, well, you knew that you had the leadership skills and how to teach those and coach, but you went over to something where that you were, you know, running your own business and doing something mm. like that. You weren't really all that good at it. But mm-hmm. you can learn, you're a smart mm-hmm. person. So you put yourself in do move terms in the first quadrant, which is the smart thing to do. And mm-hmm. you've blossomed from there. I mean, because that that drives that that gives you a lot of motivation and turns you on and that sort of stuff and really gives you energy. So as you grew the business, how did it how did you did it evolve? I mean, what did you do to make the round table different and set it apart from others?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, boy, you're so right. Like, I mean, when you start a business, you really don't know what you're doing, even though I'd run two businesses for two other entrepreneurs. Um, I, <laughs> you know, starting from the ground up um, was, was really interesting. And you just, you know, you make all kinds of mistakes. You get, you fall in love with your ideas and you have a hard time letting them go. By the, um, way,
1: Glenn, Glenn, the, the uh, That's one of the critical skills, uh, you know, production skill of taking an idea, which was your to start a new business and making it happen. You know, it's not a straight yes. line. Yes. It's a no. bumpy
2: road. It's a hugely bumpy road. And I think everybody, you know, everybody says, oh, you're so successful. And I'm like, yeah, 14 year overnight success. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a grind and, and so much of it is self-inflicted. And I think the thing that I, You know, at the start, I wanted to be seen as the one stop shop for high potential leaders, and I had mentoring program and a group coaching program and one to one coaching and I had all of these things on the go and I was doing breakfast events and I was I was really just trying to get out there and I was spinning and I remember Meeting a business coach, and this is why I think coaches and advisors and mastermind groups are so critical. You cannot do this stuff on your own as an entrepreneur, you can't do it on your own as a leader. But I remember sitting down with a business coach and I said to him, he said, you know, tell me what you you do. And I was describing it, and he immediately interrupted me and he said, and I won't drop the F bomb on your show here, but he said, (laughs) That's too effing complicated. What you're doing is too effing complicated. You have to simplify. And then I got a second message within a similar period of time where another person I was in a mastermind group with, and she was impatient with me. And at first I had a reaction to her, but she said, you're just, you're, you're, you're spinning. You're everything's too hard. You're grinding. Like, what are you doing? You need to get focused. And I remember walking out of that and I thought, wow, like one of the things one of my strengths is I'm very creative. I, I'm very good at synthesizing seemingly unconnected things and bringing them together into an idea and I do it very quickly. And I've never met an idea that I haven't loved. <laughs> and so you know, as, as when I was starting the business, I had all these ideas and I was trying to do things. And the biggest gift I had was from that guy, Mark. Who, you know, told me that I was overcomplicating everything. And I went, I just have to sell one thing. And, and at the time I'd been selling a one-to-one mentoring program because it was easier to get one person connected to another person from a sales perspective with my group program. It was eight people in a group coming together. So that's eight separate individual sales. Cause the original model that I had was to kind of I was copying CEO groups. I wanted like eight different leaders, eight different companies. You could have kind of psychological safety and trust and really work and support each other. That's a lot of selling, right? And but and so I'd been leading with this mentoring, but I didn't love the mentoring program. You know, it wasn't my passion. I love this idea of group. And so that was my turning point. I just decided to go all in. But what that required for me was I had to keep my creating at bay. I had to stop yeah. it. I, I was overusing that strength. I and and it and it requires you then to make trade-offs in, in you know entrepreneurship, we call it killing our babies, you know, which is not <laughs> a very nice way to say things, but you gotta kill some babies, right? To get traction and momentum. And so I think that that for me was really the big lesson early on. And then since then, you know, that was probably back in 2010 or 20, 2009, 2010 when I really you know, did do that. And for the first three or four years of our business, um, you know, I had been the breadwinner in our home, my husband as you know, is a psychotherapist, and, and he'd been off with our daughter for the first three years of her life. So financially, for me, I needed to bring in income. So as much as I had the roundtable on the go, I was also doing everything just to bring money in the door. Yeah. And so I really had to sort of make a very, you know, let's make some choices, make some trade-offs. Let's sell the house. Let's move to a small, uh, you know, a less desirable neighborhood. Let's cut our expenses. Let's do these things to free me up to be able to do that. And I think often we get stuck in our careers because w- we can make other choices. We just don't want to do it right. Yeah. We don't want to make those, those tricky choices around things. So for me, that was, you know, that was the, a big turning point in the business. And then since then it's been those kinds of milestones after another. You know, I had PepsiCo then say, Hey, could you do this program in-house? And I went, Well, I don't know if I could. I, I might be able to. Let's talk about it. And then that was just a huge unlock. And so since then, yeah. you know, the business has really evolved over those, I would say the last 10 years in particular to where we are now. But um, it's it's not a straight line to your point, Charlie. It's not it's a straight not line. It's not
1: a straight line, but it sounds like it was a fascinating journey. Mm. I mean, that's, but that's part of the joy yeah. Of taking something from an idea to reality. Now, so you're at reality now and mm-hmm. uh, you have some core leadership programs. And mm-hmm. what are, what are, uh, are, tell us a little bit about those leadership programs that you have, uh, you've done. And then, then we're going to get into the books you've written. <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah. So the, the whole premise for people not familiar with the round table is that we really it's, it's the how of leadership. So in a lot of times with organizations, we focus a lot on the, what you have to do as a leader, you got to hit these targets. you got to deliver these results. You have to do all these things. Our emphasis is on the how. So what are the mindsets you need to have? What are the behaviors you need to have that are going to support? And, you know, yes, talk about the skills and knowledge you need to have as a leader for sure, but we're really trying to go underneath the covers on that And the other really big core philosophy we have is that leadership today is incredibly complex. And the demands on leaders to be able to balance both results and people is actually very difficult. I mean, I know you're a Mm -hmm. fan of neuroscience. I mean, neuroscience research would show that, you know, we all have a tendency to either lean one way or the other. So you're either very socially connected Or you're very results oriented. And our research partner has found that less than 5% of leaders carry and balance both those um, uh, approaches consistently. So most of us have a uh, leaning in one way or the other. And what we need to do over time is start to build our Mm self-awareness and understand how we're showing up as leaders so that we can frankly, have more tools in our toolkit. Like I have a friend who says, you know, we all have this factory installed operating system. And, you know, I know in the strengths-based movement, it's like that gets celebrated. I'm a big fan of strengths too. But like I was just saying to you, my strength as a creative is a problem when I'm trying to scale a business. Like it's actually not my friend. It gets in my way. And so that's what we do in our programming. So we have Three main programs. One is a leadership program that's about twelve months long, where leaders come in, they identify what we call their big bang for the buck behavior, and they work on it over twelve months. It's and they all, do it in gr- and
1: they do it in groups. And they
2: do it in these small groups, yeah. right? So they're facilitated groups with a coach, and we, you know, we cover some core topics that we believe are important in leadership, like what are your values, understand your strengths, understand your personal brand, the legacy you're going to create as a leader, but we also co-create, so depending on each group, they might have topics that they're struggling with. You know, a couple of hot topics over the last year with our groups has been around um, inclusivity. You know, how do I be, how do I create an inclusive culture as a leader? We've had adaptability be a very hot top topic um, lately. Um, tame your triggers was. A huge topic three years ago. I don't know why, but it was, you know, people were, I don't know, I guess under a lot of stress and this sort of thing. So that program, the Roundtable for Leaders, is our group coaching program. It's designed for high potentials and it's really a it's a it's a hybrid of group coaching work, individual coaching work, on-the-job application, mentoring, you name it. It's all in there. Um, and then we have a group mentoring program, which is really fantastic for organizations that are trying to drive a culture shift. What we do there is. We work with senior leaders and rather than mentor one to one, which we know is time consuming and you don't get consistency and mentees aren't always what they've cracked up to be in this situation we're we're taking a senior leader and we're putting them in with three to five other, um, you know, leaders that are from across the organization so they get a new view of talent. And they're going through structured conversations, structured coaching conversations, again, on topics that are relevant to the business and the strategy and the culture they're trying to drive.
1: So they and kind, of mentor, third, they kind sorry, of mentor one another.
2: They mentor one another. And, and you know, the thing about group coaching, and I always say this to people the, 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 the outcomes from a group coach approach or a group mentoring approach go beyond the learning that people are having on the topics. What you also start doing is you start expanding people's strategic network. You start increasing compassion. You start increasing empathy. You start creating community. You start aligning people around what does good look like around here? Um, the Yeah, so the mentor who's running these groups, certainly they're bringing in their experience of wisdom but the group is also supporting each other. And what's really been fascinating about that program is that the mentors themselves become a peer group and they support each other and they get to know each other differently, but also they get a much broader view of talent. I mean, for years we've been talking about how, you know, women can't get ahead, minorities can't get ahead because they don't have access to informal networks. And that used to keep me up at night because I'm like, yeah. So how how do you join the hockey team or the go for drinks with the boss after work as a if you're not in the in crowd, right? Um, but in group mentoring now, as a mentor, I have four or five people that I don't necessarily have exposure to, but I actually see you in action because that's what sponsorships all about. I'm gonna I might mentor a ton of people, but I'm gonna sponsor people that I've seen in action that I feel like I can put my neck on the line for you because I know you're gonna do a good job, right? And so that's been a real unlock and I think a game changer for a lot of the um, organizations that we we do that work with. And then our third program is a, a high performance team program that's for executive teams and really helps executive teams align around the leadership culture they're trying to drive. And so, Executive teams typically have been doing siloed development where they'll all have an executive coach. And yet it's so critical that these teams collectively work together and support each other's development because, you know, we have an expression, you know, leaders bring the weather, right? And if the executive team is bringing stormy weather to the organization, that is going to rain down on everybody. So it's kind of this hybrid of team coaching, but also development for the executive Executives, in order to be able to know how to support each other around a collective and aligned vision for what they're trying to do as a team. Yeah. So those are our three kind of big practice areas, and we do do individual coaching and some other little things here and there. But that's it in a nutshell.
1: Well, it's it, that was quite a journey, you know, from when when you started in 2007 and how you mm. how you molded your ideas. Uh, you implemented some of them, some of them. You threw some of them away. You found out what worked. You did yeah. some different things and found out those works. So you landed uh, to where you are today and it sounds fantastic, Line. Now you're also an author, yeah. uh, you know, so tell us uh, what prompted uh, you to write your books. So, you know, you had one that was, uh, did I really sign up for this? And you had another one called The Grassroots Leadership Revolution. Tell us a little bit about those. What prompted you to write them?
2: Yeah, so the first book, did I really sign up for this? And as a funny side note story, I mean, one of my philosophies, has always been to co create. So, you know, all the programs we have at the round table, it's not like I sat in a little room and came up with them. They've been co created with our clients over the years. And when I was, um, it was our 10th anniversary and I'd been blogging for about 10 years on different aspects of leadership. And we thought, geez, we should turn this into a book to celebrate the 10th anniversary. And, you know, but what are we going to call it? And so I went out to the community and I said, well, you know, writing a book, a bunch of stories in it about leadership, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, um, one of the people in the community came back with, you know what, did I really sign up for this? Like, this is the thing about leadership. And I and I actually really love the title because I think even if you're a great leader and you love leadership, and I mean, I, I don't know if I'm a great leader, but I love leadership. I, I try every day to get a little bit better and I'm, you know, a work in progress but there are definitely moments where you think oh boy it would be so much easier if i you know didn't have to deal with x y and z and so that's what that one is and it is a little collection of different stories and observations that I had over the years, and we curated it into a a bit of a you know about you and and the team and career management and things like that. And the Doom Loop is is mentioned in there um, as one of my favorite go to tools of all time. Oh, I um, love you for that. <laughs> I you know what, Charlie? I draw that thing so often for people. It is a great
1: <laughs> you use you so draw it on a cocktail napkin. That's yeah. that's what I did most. I
2: know. I love it. That's simple. Simplicity. I love simplicity. And, and I think it's just such a great um, anchor for people to see where they're at. Yeah. Um, and then how the about grassroots. The other, how about the other one?
1: The yeah.
2: So the grassroots leadership revolution, I had been, you know, we, you know, we're, we're only so big. There's only so much of us. And, and I know there's, I grew up in not-for-profit where there was very limited budgets for development and you were kind of on your own to do your own thing. And so what I wanted to do is to really take how we create these peer groups and peer communities, and put it in the hands of leaders who might not have the opportunity, maybe don't work for an organization that's developing their leaders, and that they could do it on their own. I really wanted it to be like a DIY, start your own little peer group, four to five people, here are some core exercises that we walk, walk through in the roundtable, and give them the structure to be able to support and coach each other because for me I'm always involved in some form of peer group right now I'm in two I always have a coach on the go and I'm continued to I I, like I continue to be surprised at how few people invest in those things for themselves those things have been game changers for me in my career and so I wanted to do the I wanted to give the grassroots leadership revolution as a book to say you can own your own career. You don't need to rely on your manager. In fact, your manager may be the worst person to look after your career path for you. Depending and that's on your becoming skills. more
1: and more true these days. As sort oh, of boy. Change.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's why we're seeing this big, you know, they're calling it the big quit, the great resignation. Yeah. I think a big driver is that if people are going, I'm, I'm tired of working for leaders that are terrible. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah.
1: My golly. Well, anyway, I, and both of those are available on Amazon.
2: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Now, <laughs> you know, a, a question I have uh, for you as we've been talking about this, and you're just so knowledgeable about, about this. Some years ago, I was given a definition of leadership, and I'll share that with you and uh, let you react. It was very simple. It was called, Leadership is the Art of Accomplishing the Mission Through People. Mm. And that was that simple. Yeah, And uh, I will react to that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a lot of my mentor and boss, Don McQuaig, who used to say even more simply, a leader is a person who has followers. Yeah,
1: I like that I, too.
2: I, I, I really love that because I think a lot of people um over leverage their title and their position and think that that's what's made them the leader and that's not what I've seen leaders in organizations that have no leadership title they're huge okay. leaders you know leadership isn't about title or position it is about you know this yes how do you how do you inspire the collective how do you bring out the best in other people what is your response it's such a huge responsibility oh, I, I when is. people say to me, I want to be a manager I want to be a leader I'm like what's your motivation for wanting to do that? Yeah. Because the title and the car and the, the fancy office, that'll wear off in two seconds.
1: Man. Well, you now, I've always been impressed by you because of you have uh, absolutely tremendous energy and passion and you just never seem to stop. You know what, what drives you anyway, my friend?
2: Okay. I feel like I should be asking you this question, my <laughs> friend. Um, hello. Um, <laughs> well... It's funny, we were talking about um, uh, positive intelligence before the the show got started, and one of the things that um, has become abundantly clear to me, I've been doing a lot of work with the Enneagram for people that might be familiar with that and listening to that, and I discovered that my number on the Enneagram is a seven and sevens their vice is gluttony so they can't get enough this has been a huge unlock for me lately Charlie and so as I sit here with you I I am coming off the heels of a conversation with my husband last night that went something like this it was I I came down with a cold on the weekend I'd been in Italy a week ago for a client came back was fine came down with a cold not COVID a cold Um, Powered through Thanksgiving because it was Canadian Thanksgiving up here. Hosted Thanksgiving. Had a turkey. Um, Still got the little edge of a cold. You might hear it in my voice a little bit. And tonight I'm playing Canasta with my girlfriends. Tomorrow night I'm having a reunion with my um, friends from that I grew up with um, in high school. And Saturday morning I'm getting up at 5 a.m. to fly on a plane to go see my mother in Victoria because she's turning 80 on uh, on um Sunday wow and my husband's like okay when are you gonna stop and I'm like I know I think this is my this is my next professional developing is actually to slow myself down because I I think what I've been what I've been sort of noticing this drive for energy also sort of comes out of the fear of you know what if I miss out what if I don't do this fast enough what if I you know what if it's a FOMO thing so I think you know um i do have a lot of drive and energy i do love the work i do i i think makes a huge difference i think when you do love what you do it doesn't feel like work um but actually my overuse of my energy is going to be my development um opportunity for the next 12 months so stay tuned in this space, because I may even do a sabbatical next year. I'm, oh, I'm- well, if
1: you do a sabbatical, you have to come to Chicago and spend some time.
2: Well, oh my God, one of my favorite cities. I'm being yes. Chicago in a heartbeat.
1: <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, just you you mentioned positive intelligence. It sounds like I would say that one of your saboteurs is the restless saboteur. Mm-hmm. You always see opportunities over here. And it, there's. There's sparkling, shiny objects everywhere you look. And one of the great skills you have is you can see those things. But you're one of your saboteurs. And you're what you're saying is you want to silence that saboteur, turn the volume down over the next few years, and not go after every shiny object you see. Well,
2: the funny story is when people say, how did you make it through the pandemic? I'm like, well, we launched another business. Like, that's what happened when I had yeah. downtime." time.
1: Interesting. <laughs> I'll tell you another thing, too, is you are... Not good at doing nothing, and you hate that. Yes. And in doom loop terms, that would put you in the fourth quadrant. So you're like me in a way. You're going to have a heck of a time retiring. You'll never. I don't think I'll
2: ever be able to retire.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Let's let's uh, let's kind of pull this to a close. You, this has been fascinating. I just love talking to you about this. I just love the fact how uh, how you've been so successful and just it actually made your dreams come true you know Mm -hmm. but now suppose you were asked to go and maybe you already have in the past to go to your uh, the high school you went to and give a commencement address and you gave that address and you were approaching the end of that wonderful speech you were giving and you wanted to offer these students you know three or four pieces of advice in terms of pursuing their careers in the in the current world Mm -hmm. with complicated world we face what would those Three or four pieces of advice, be.
2: Mm -hmm. So I think my first one is: don't let anybody else write your script for you. Don't let anybody else tell you what you are or are not capable of. You learned Um,
1: that very early. You taught. I learned
2: that early, and and I think. I see so many people falling into that. It's like we look to external validation where what we need to do is to get quiet and come within. So that's one thing. The second thing I would say is early career, take some risks, try some things. Think of that period of your life as being the period of your life where you are figuring out where you want to be and what you want to be doing and what your strengths are and what fuels your passion. And I think that. That third piece, and you know, I have a 17-year-old who's in her first year of university, and uh, you know, I think she's having her first.
0: <laughs> it's almost yeah. like the
2: job where she went, "What have I signed up for? Oh no, now what?" <laughs> and 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 I've said to her, "Just keep noticing what you love." And like the analogy that I used to use, or I, I use all the time, is picture that you've got a p- pie sitting in front of you and but it's different slices one's a piece of pecan pie one's a piece of lemon pie one's a piece of you know apple pie and in your job your job and the things you have to do in a job are like different pieces of pie and some you're gonna love and they taste delicious and other pieces are disgusting and you don't want to do them anymore right and so as you think about what you want to go to next look for jobs that are going to give you more of what you do love less of what you don't love and maybe introduce some new pieces. So maybe you get a piece of key lime the next job or you get a yeah. you know a slice of something else, butter tart, I don't know. That sort of view of, you know, thinking about slowly moving your dial to what you would what you're meant to do in this round of your life. I think too often people think the answer is going to fall into their lap or um they don't, you know, it's too scary to create a plan. So take micro steps, small steps towards that and start paying attention. How can I do a little bit more of what I love, right? Yeah. Put your hand up, volunteer. Sometimes it's not within the work. It's it's outside of work that you're going to build those skills that you need or knowledge that you need to move forward. So that would be my third convoluted piece of advice.
1: Well, I think that's solid <laughs> advice. And certainly things that have worked well for you. Uh, now, Glenn, how can someone get in touch with you or learn more about the roundtable?
2: Yeah. So our website is go, G-O roundtable.com. Go
1: roundtable.com. Um,
2: Yeah. Go because the person who owns the roundtable.com is asking a whole lot of money for that web address. So, anyway, we're go roundtable.com, even though we are the roundtable. And um, they can definitely find me there and uh, follow us on. We've got a number of social channels under the same handle that um, they can see what we're up to.
1: And I know they can find you on YouTube if you, if you just mm. Google Glyon Roberts McCabe, the doom loop YouTube, you're going to see <laughs> Glyon explain it in two minutes. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so very much, Glyon, for being our guest today on It's All About Skills. You know, and as for me, I'm an internationally certified career coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, CharlieJetCoaching.com. Or if you're interested in positive intelligence, you can go to PodcastPQ.com, where we explain all the saboteurs and talk about the courses we teach. Or as Glenn referred to The Doom Loop, you can go to TheDoomLoop.com, and you'll see a fun little uh, animated video to explain it. Uh, It only takes about two minutes to listen to. Anyway, so thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.